0: For writer Siobhan McGowan, childhood journeys to Kearney Commons in County Tipperary with her parents and her brother Shane were hugely formative. She has been living in North Tipperary for almost 30 years and I met her on the shores of Loch Derg near the broad, majestic Shannon.
1: So I've brought you down to the lakeside now. As you can see, the beautiful Clare Hills there in the background actually. And the ducks and the swans and the gulls all commune together here, which is a, a template for world peace, I think. No, because they're, they're brilliant. I love watching them. They just kind of get on together and they're pecking away and feeding. It's just so beautiful and peaceful.
0: You used to come with your family mm. from London uh, almost every year, maybe oh twice every year, year twice, maybe twice a year. A year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yourself and Shane, yeah. Your brother Shane McGann, famous songwriter, singer. Yeah. So this whole place and Tip really, really special to you.
1: Oh well, absolutely. My mother was raised. My father's a Dubliner, and my mother was from here in Tipperary, and uh, we came every year, as you say, and went to her old homestead. Which was a, it's a now a 300 year old cottage. It's still in the family. Just absolutely beautiful, magical place. Songing, dancing. Songing. <laughs> New word, folks. <vote. laughs> yeah. Songing, dancing. Yeah. And, uh, some of the neighbours you see, there were sparks flying from the floor. Like on a Sunday night, the old sparks would be flying from the floor.
0: Creative sparks. Yeah, it was
1: a great, it was a great old place. Great. What a, what, old a,
0: place. what a brilliant experience for a kid.
1: Yeah. Coming oh, from London. We were out in the fields like till 11 at night, because the summer nights, you see. And it was safe. But then six o'clock every evening was the rosary and Auntie Nora used to come and uh, she'd go, Shane, Siobhan. And there was an old stone wall and we ducked down, like, you know, but actually that's mentioned in the broad majestic shan, duck down behind the stone wall and hide, you see. But in the end they would not give up and we had to like trudge across, like, you know. So yeah, so there was a lot of, a lot of times there at that house, a lot.
0: Was that part of the draw that that brought you back?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think there's no doubt that I always felt totally Irish, like you know. I know my accent is not, so I always felt I always felt a huge pull. And I, I remember actually saying to Dad when I was 12, I said, "I will go back and live in Ireland," you know, Dad. <laughs> so, uh, so we always laugh about that. So, but yes, it was it was a huge pull. And the, the funny thing is, I always remember what was beautiful when we did come back to Tick was everybody used to say welcome home which i always thought was beautiful
0: and you, you've just published your your second novel mm. the graces when did you know that you wanted to be a writer
1: from about seven i had an image of myself putting a picture of a book up on it had my name on the spine books were huge in our house writing was huge like Myself and Shane used to write and draw all the time. And actually, when we were coming over to Tip, we used to sit in the back of the car because we get Hollywood Ferry at that time. we put a blanket over us and we'd both be scribbling and writing and drawing. And Mum always said we were the easiest children in the world because we were so self-contained. That's all we did. And we read.
0: And The Graces, then, I know, has a strong strain of... I suppose the power of premonition
1: mm-hmm. running
0: through it. Mm. Is that something that was there in in your family
1: Mm. In The Graces a lot of the first parts where Rosaline Moore is in Clare is actually based on the house that I'm talking about and all my aunts and uncles in the house and in the book Rosaline's grandmother has a premonition of her youngest son dying that is actually a true story handed down through generations of my great grandmother, Margaret Lynch who had an, woke in the night with a terrible, terrible foreboding and blackness around her and she just knew she was in terrible fear for her son Tommy, her youngest son Tommy and she went down to him and she begged him to stay close to the house, she didn't know what was going to happen he laughed it off, he was 17 and my family had a thrashing machine which was quite a big deal in those days and they went around to all the local farms and tommy went with his brothers with the thrashing machine and of course it was within weeks that he stepped out in front of the the rotating wheel got caught in it and died instantly and they said that granny great granny went out into the fields and wailed and wailed and wailed and those stories are very strong they've been handed down and they appear in in the graces
0: it's great that you have achieved you know what you imagined as a child seeing your name on a book is there immense satisfaction in that
1: yeah i actually said recently that uh getting my first publishing deal and getting my first book published felt like coming home like somewhere i always wanted to be and i had been trying to get to for so long so it had this complete sense of contentment and fulfillment and i'd actually done what i'd been striving to do for so long
0: so you're Home in many ways, your home here in Tip, your home in your creative life. Good place to be.
1: Yeah, it really is good now at the moment, like, you know. My dear mother died, like, six years ago. And as she was getting older, I said to her mum, I said, you know, you know, I wanted to be a writer so long. I said, what if you go before I achieve it? I said, you won't know. And she said, well, first of all, I will know. And second, she said, I do know. So I feel that even though she's not here to see it, she knew already. I remember a tipperary of half a century ago. The cottage where my mother was reared, surely magical. For although it housed my granny and her 11 siblings, it never seemed cramped. Arriving from the ferry, huddled in the car, dawn not yet broken, peering eagerly up the narrow road of hedgerows to where my great-uncle John waited at the silver-painted metal gates, whining open to reveal the cottage windows lit in anticipation, the black bicycles stacked against the thick white walls, dogs awoken and barking as I ran into the kitchen, engulfed by the smell of wood and turf burning in its hearth the width of the stone floor and a gabble of greetings from my aunts and uncles. Under the peat roof, the long table resplendent in flowery plastic laden with striped cups and saucers, Auntie Nora's brown cake bread, tomatoes, ham and gouty cheese... For this bread, Auntie Nora would have suffered, limping with a gigantic sack of Odlum's flour at her arthritic hip, her apron dress hiding a hem not raised since the 30s, her brothers in shirts and braces lifting their caps to wink. Around this table, Auntie Ellen would swing her concertina, Uncle Jim sing Sleeve Namon, and the neighbours dance. There'd be sparks flying from the floor one record years later. At this table too, I'd kneel on the hard chair to say the rosary after Evening Angelus and come Sunday morning catch Uncle John in his sleeved vest and long johns shaving at a basin, face shining brightly as his shoes for Mass. Outside church, a chorus of welcome homes... Coins pressed into my palm A fortune to spend on eclair sweets and red lemonade at the post office Travelled to on pony and trap The waft of straw in my nostrils, bottom bruised from the bumps The cock crow waking me beside my mother in the parlour Chickens squawking and scurrying over the yard for their feed The suk sook call to the cattle Jam jars laced with cruel jam to lure wasps to a watery grave Memories all. And handkerchiefs raised to cry, the holy water bottle raised to shower us with divine protection on our journey back to a land that was not only a sea but a world away.